Hi everyone, I'm Natalie Gawkner. This is Both Sides of the Aisle, and I am so excited to represent the political center and be with my friends John Dougal on the right and Shireen Gorbani on the left. Hi, John. Hey, great to be with you. Welcome back. Hi, Shireen. Hello, and special shout out to our Logan listeners. I was I had the opportunity to be up there this weekend and ran into a few listeners, so I just wanted to say hi. Love, love, love Cash Valley. Um, but we're going to start, Shireen and John, by taking our our feel uh, international. So much going on um, in our our world that's on fire is how Nikki Haley puts it. And we've got a Congress that's uh, passing funding bills for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. That's the Senate, John. What do you what do you see happening in the House? Um, what I see right now is it's dead on arrival in the House. <laughs> um, Speaker Johnson is sitting there complaining that it doesn't include border security, and he's correct on that. Um, I think it's shameful that the House has sat there and complained and has not engaged on the border security. I think the House, as an independent body, should have been working on their own proposal, should have come to the table rather than sitting on their hands and stuff. And I get there there were uh, some fatal flaws in the Senate border proposal, but I do think it was a framework that could have been remedied to deal with border security. Am I right? It truly is the issue that so many Americans believe it is. Yeah. John, Shireen, am I right that the House won't even take up a vote on it? Is that your understanding? That's my understanding. That's one yes. of my pet peeves, you know, is just not letting something go to the floor. And, and you know, sure as living, it's because they don't want a record of people voting, you know, yay or nay, which is even worse. It's political. It's political. Yeah. And an issue, again, that I think really desperately needs movement. Um, and this was, we were so close and to just not even, um, as you're suggesting, John, to put together your own proposal and come to the table or to be, have the courage to say, you know, actually, uh, solutions are more important than our partisanship. So we're going to try to get something moving and then work to improve it. I think it's shameful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shereen, stay with you for a minute. Our, our Senator, uh, Mitt Romney, he took to the floor for a five minute lashing, uh, you know, basically saying, we have got to help Ukraine. I'll, I'll quote him. He said, if we fail to help Ukraine, America will cease to be the arsenal of democracy. It will cease to be the leader of the free world. Those are some strong words. Um, your, your comment on the senator. Yeah, I think he um, is becoming more and more of an outlier in his own party. And I'm, you know, concerned to see that these kinds of comments, which used to be, I think, a mainstay or sort of a main um, narrative inside the Republican Party are now considered sort of fringe. Um, When I think about even the reaction that we heard after this vote from many senators, um, really disparaging Mitch McConnell, uh, sort of suggesting that that this approach to national security is not important in the same ways that it once was. I do think that we are a nation in decline. And I, and I, 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 I'm with Romney on, on his comments here. Mm-hmm. John, I don't know if you want to say anything more about that, but I also well, want to. Yeah. Before we segue, let me just touch on from my perspective. I th- think uh, most Americans do not want boots on the ground. They do not. They, they want to make sure whatever funding we provide Ukraine, there's oversight. But at the end of the day, I think we have to recognize Putin is a bully and he will continue to take land and take uh, countries over and over. This isn't just a one off. You know, I look at this kind of like like Hitler. Oh, I just want Czechoslovakia. I just want the German speaking part of Czechoslovakia and then I'm fine. Yeah, that was not his his intended goal. It was to take as much as he could get. 
Yeah. And I see Putin in the similar vein. He will take and take and take. He's a bully. And uh, if we don't uh, appropriately deal with him now, uh, this will continue to be a global threat. Yeah. The, the saying, uh, those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it, uh, looms large. And I just, from the political center, I'm just going to say, it, it really makes me crazy that the Utah delegation doesn't unify on something like this. I think the, the, the Utahns would be solidly behind uh, a strong uh, United States that's a you know, beacon of democracy in the world. And uh, for our two senators to, dis- to sit there and you know, kind of dispute about it, it just frustrates me. I think that we're more unified than our politics make us look. I think that's right. So, but you also have the concern, which is, you know, tens of billions of dollars going to Ukraine, that there has been concerns about how it's been spent and monies that have been shunted off and lack of oversight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I there just are have valid to concerns. say, though, I mean, John, I, I fundamentally agree with you. I just think that the way that we spend money on militarizing the world is beyond the scope that most people can really digest into thinking about millions and millions of dollars a day that go into the way that we fund militarism uh, around our own country and around the world. And I, I agree with you. I just have to say that, like, I don't think, I think that they've decided to make this an issue to talk about this way the money is spent in Ukraine while deeply ignoring all the ways in which we have no real sense of the way that our tax dollars are being spent to propagate war around the world. I just I just don't, I don't know. I, I think it's a much more complex issue, and we've decided to make this a flashpoint. Mm, yeah. Hey, Shreen and John, I just spent some time in New York City. I got to watch all the ads that pertain to the special election. Condolences. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, for the House member that was uh, removed from office. What was he sanctioned? What's George, the strong... George Santos. Yeah, what's the yeah. word? It's not sanctioned. He was censored. Is that... Sen- was he yeah. censured? He was censured. Anyway, uh, it was Tom Swazi and this Mozzie Pillip that uh, were running... Uh, Tom uh, Swazi being the Democrat, and he won last night in a special election. A lot of people looked at it as a bellwether for, you know, what's going to happen in November. Um, what I learned from, well, I learned from these ads how mean it is. All they talked about was the border on both sides. So that's sort of interesting in New York City, and you're talking about the border. And, of course, you know, a lot of the immigrants have been shipped uh, to New York City. But even more I heard that the path to the Democrats getting the House back is through New York, the state, which I found interesting. You don't think of, you know, you you think of swing districts in the presidential, but you sometimes don't think of swing states in terms of taking Congress. But New York's one of these places that when you get out in Queens and Brooklyn, you get some, you know, some real um, movement towards a a, a stalemate, I guess, between Republicans and Democrats and who will will get the seat. Uh, Shereen, your quick comment. Yeah, so I think what we're seeing here, a couple of things. One is that the in, uh, the the individual who won, the Democrat, previously represented a chunk of this district. So it was redistricting in which he um, either didn't run again or, or lost the seat. I, I don't think that he, he ran, was the person. He ran for governor. He ran for governor. That's right. I was going to say, I don't think he ran against George Santos. So anyway, he um, came back in. Failed, failed on his gov- uh, gubernatorial race, came back in and ran for the special election, really around the issues of, as you're suggesting, immigration. Um, 
and and was able to point to the absolute failure of the House to really move on this issue, to in fact reject movement on uh, addressing immigration. So that was a big part of the story. Abortion continues to be a part of the narrative for Democrats that there is a uh, a, a real threat, you know, to an, a nationwide. Um, abortion ban that could be on the table if Republicans maintain control. And then there were other really specific issues. And I'm wondering if you saw ads that that kind of drilled down into those kind of um, district specific kinds of issues. And in fact, the salt tax, I think, is one of them that was coming up over and over again. Um, so there there are these sort of finer details of what's happening on the ground in that in that space. But I, I think it's a good sign for Democrats moving forward. Um, but I also believe that we can't just rely on these issues to carry us forward. People have to organize. Yeah. Hey, John. So the the margin in the House just narrowed. Yeah, it's two votes. Two yeah. votes. Yeah. So in yeah. salt tax that Shireen's referring to is not a tax on salt, but it's a state and local That's... tax deduction, which is something at the federal level that uh, you know they capped with the Trump tax bill, but before that it was open ended and it favored, if you will high spending states, which tended to be liberal states um, in terms of tax policy that, you know, all federal taxpayers would subsidize those that could deduct their higher local and state taxes. Yeah. Hey, uh, just as we finish out this segment, let's let's talk for just a minute about uh, uh, former President Trump and the immunity case. Uh, he's uh, he's asked the Supreme Court to intervene. This is President Trump to halt the D.C. appeals court ruling that rejected his claim of total immunity for his actions following the 2020 election loss. Uh, this is the special counsel. Jack Smith starts to you know, grow in importance right now as we watch this jockeying with the courts. Uh, John, quick comment there in the two minutes we have left in this segment. Yeah, so um, I do not think he's going to win in the Supreme Court. Yes, I do think the president has certain immunities within his official duties, but there's a certain point at which, no, he's going to be held criminally liable, and it all depends where the court draws that line to say inside this bubble you have immunity and outside this bubble you do not have immunity. And I think what will probably happen is the court will take it and kick it back down for the lower courts to figure out exactly where that boundary is. Yeah, Shireen, I'll bet that uh, Trump loses the immunity uh, case before SCOTUS and wins the Colorado ballot thing before before the Supreme Court. I think that's right. Um, I Do would you? agree okay. with your with your guess. I would also say that I think you know this to me, especially the issue around presidential immunity, is absolutely showing his cards. I do believe that the, that former President Trump is running to stay um, unaccountable for the ways in which he's broken the law, and this to me is a complete tell. So I feel like I hope that people take that seriously. I'm afraid that they won't, but um, this man is not. Uh, good for our country, and I don't think is a is a reasonable person to put back in in our highest office. Yeah, lots uh, Natalie, to you mentioned come. the Colorado case, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, even quote unquote the liberal justices were very skeptical about whether or not the president's included within the the amendment, uh, to what extent it should apply to him, to what extent uh, Congress should act before somebody could be removed, whether or not he could still be on the ballot, because even if uh, he were to get uh, elected, um, Congress could still remedy and say he's eligible to serve. There's all sorts of things. And so it, it sounds like, yeah, it was you know probably going to be 8-1 or even potentially 9-0 uh, 
uh, in favor of keeping him on the ballot. Mm-hmm. There's a long novel being written in this uh, right now. Hey, let's let's take a short break and then we'll talk about local news. I'm Natalie Gochner with Shireen Gorbani and John Dougal. Stay tuned, everyone. Shireen Gorbani on the left. John Dougal on the right. Natalie Gochner in the political center. This is both sides of the aisle, and we want to jump to local news. There's a lot of it, but uh, just right before, let's talk about the the special counsel who issued the report in the Biden document case. You know, it's interesting. It wasn't so much about the classified materials as it was about the president's age and memory. And uh, in I guess in the document, uh, the special counsel was quoted as saying that the American public would view uh, President Biden as a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Ouch, Shireen. <laughs> Ouch. I have to say, um, I'm sure John will have a lot to say about this because he called me to tell me about an article that he sent me regarding it. I <laughs> I am not here to tell you that I believe that, um, you know, we have what appears to be a rematch of Trump and Biden and that either of these people are not expressing concerning lapses of memory. The... Um, the way in which Biden has conducted himself, the success that he has ha- had over these last four years, given the tightness of the Senate and the, and the House um, and a Republican House at this point, um, the monumental legislation that he's been able to pass suggests to me that he is able to do the job. I also think that when people are being deposed or they're in these kinds of conversations, memory is often used as a tool. I can't remember. I don't remember the specifics on that. Um, and I we see that over and over and over again. But But let me be totally transparent. I think that both of our candidates for president at this point, what looks to be Trump and Biden, um, I think it is time for a new generation of leaders. I don't believe that we're there. Uh, I don't know that we're going to see Nikki Haley emerge, for example. I don't see a future where Biden steps down. But um, this is where we're going. And I frankly continue to trust that he has the right people around him and the interests of this country at heart. Yeah. John, let's have you comment. But I, as you do, I just want to mention that it, I think it's interesting, the age argument, memory argument in a state like Utah that has so many senior men who, uh, you know, govern, uh, make decisions for the predominant faith. So w- we have a culture that very much accepts the wisdom of our seniors, our elderly, and and yet in politics, we might feel different. I just, I just find that an interesting uh, angle here. John? Yeah, well, the special counsel, Robert Herr, you know, he's he's getting condemned because he's, quote unquote, editorializing. But I think he was trying to articulate why he wasn't bringing charges because he didn't think that a jury would convict. And he was explaining why uh, he saw that impediment because of how they view the president and, and his inability to remember the actions he took. And so he was trying to explain that. Um, I think it's very concerning, clearly, for the Democrats. Uh, this is something I think they really need to deal with. But unfortunately, on my side of the aisle, you know, Trump is, you know, causing his own problems that distracts. I mean, rather than the focus being on Biden and his memory concerns, uh, he made some things about uh, NATO and and his, you know, you know, encouragement of Putin to do whatever he wanted to with those that didn't step up to their NATO commitments. And it's one thing for the president or, you know, for President Trump to say that to a leader behind closed doors to basically say, get your act together or we will not be backing you. It's a whole other thing to telegraph that to the world in a way that all of a sudden distracted from Biden's memory issues and and drew attention over to himself, which I think there's the old thing, you know, when you're when you're, your opponent is self-destructing. Don't interrupt. <laughs> 
Hey, uh, John, let's stay with you. We also have uh, Governor Spencer Cox, who's now announced that he's going to send uh, National Guard uh, members from Utah. and uh, Five think- of them. Five. <laughs> Count them. One, two, three, four, five. And also some... Is that wow. solve the problem? Utah Public Safety, what, uh, Highway Patrolman to the Texas border? Another five. Uh, a total okay. of ten. Okay, so John, you're, you're kind of seeming cynical on this. Uh, you think oh, this, this is, is a symbolic... Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think border security is a critical issue. To say we're going to send ten people down there, five of them are going to watch military equipment, I, I don't see anything here that says we're actually working to secure the border. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I have no problem with us going down to secure the border. I think it's critical that the federal government is not going to step up and do it. We should be doing it. But this token, you know, statement that does nothing to secure the border to me is just for a headline for a campaign. Sure. And I think it's disingenuous. I, about 90 percent of what John said, I agree with. So I think we can skip it. Natalie, what do you think? I think, well, that's interesting. I just have to add that I always think it's funny in things like this where the sort of conversations start to emerge. But I have a nephew that serves in the National Guard, and he's telling our family that there have been National Guardsmen down there for months. (laughs) So I don't know what to make of it. Hey, well, so Natalie, let me let me put math on this. Utah is about 1% of the U.S. population. If every state sent down the same number of people to help secure the border, and you know that's not going to happen, but if every state did it, we would have, and they were truly focused on border security, we would be placing one person every two miles on the border. You know, it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is not very many. You know, we'd be talking about a total of 1,000 people going down there. That's not much. The thing I like about this issue is it's vintage both sides of the aisle because, you know, John is taking on a, a sitting Republican governor and Shireen's agreeing with him. And I'm sort of like, you know, I mean, I think there's a state interest here, but I, I'd be going at immigration policy totally differently from the state. So that's that's sort of what we do here. Hey, well, uh, where, <laughs> where would you come from the state perspective? Oh, uh, you know, I would I would unify the congressional delegation. I would start a caucus uh, for, you know, um, productive middle support for the border. And I would uh, start changing immigration laws. I would start funding border security in ways. I, 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 would, I would create the narrative that we can solve problems in this country. And we do that by unifying. And we do it without regard to party. And I think the West could have a powerful movement to do that. But it starts with Senator Romney, Senator Lee, and our congressional delegation unifying, and then going to their partners in Idaho and Colorado and New Mexico, you know, get to the border states. You could do this. And, and that's and that's where you and I agree also, because my comments earlier with the House sitting on their hands and not engaging and just complaining rather than we saying, OK, we have yeah. a bill that's a framework. There's problems with it. How do we amend it rather than just completely shoot it down? What do we do to fix that bill and actually focus on border security right now today yeah. rather than kick it off as a, a political thing? My view is the Republicans will pay a dear price for what they've just done at the border because they've taken away the narrative that they're the ones that are hard on the border. And uh, now uh, the Democrats hold it in their hands because the Republicans, you know, messed up this bill. Well, and I think, you know, give it another year after the election. Let's suppose uh, Trump gets elected president again. Uh, The Democrats, I do not do not think are going to come to the table to want to do any kind of deal with them. Yeah. Hey, let's And there's go. going to be only certain tools that he can leverage on border security. Yeah. 
do either of you uh, take any issue with uh, this uh, news story about Speaker Schultz uh, speaking at an event that was a Christian nationalist event uh, that had this notion of biblical citizenship? Is this causing any concern in your circles, Shireen or John? Okay, well, I I would just say um, not in my circles, but just for me personally, I am concerned with the further radicalization of um, conservative, I think what we used to call conservatives, right? Uh, Republicans generally, um, white nationalism and Christian nationalists are a rising source of violence in our country. And I think that this is a concerning, uh, connection. I find what's kind of more troubling for me is that there is a real lack of desire of transparency from, we saw this with our, um, attorney general. We are now seeing it here with our, House leader to not want to share their calendar. Um, we we pay for you know we pay for them. This is they are on our books. I my calendar is quite transparent to my boss. Um, you know, and I because I'm not ashamed of what I'm doing. I believe that you know the work that I do aligns deeply with with the mission of our organization. I think that that we should have the same expectation for our elected leaders to really. Um, provide transparency around how they're spending their time. Mm, that's interesting. And so the idea is that the Tribune has put in a request for these records of the speaker schedule, and, and they've been said, well, it's, we don't have it. That's not a record. It's not open to you. John, I find it interesting as the legislature starts to do more governor's office functions, executive branch functions, like managing state activities, which I think is an executive branch function, they will start to feel the sting of what it takes to be in the spotlight like that. When I worked in governor's offices for years, the schedule of the governor was released every week in advance. The whole schedule or certain public events? No, no, the entire schedule. Now, you might have something on the schedule that says something like strategy time, you know, with your staff. You might have, uh, but but no, we were, I mean, it was a public record. We weren't going to mess with it. Yeah, so going back uh, to... To your comment or question about uh, Speaker Schultz, you know, elected officials speak at lots of events, and you may or may not know certain leanings of the groups you're you're speaking to. But at the end of the day, I think what matters more is what is the message that you're giving versus what is the group you're talking to. Uh, you know, there may be a group that is is you know very opposed to you know my position, but if I'm going in there and I'm going to talk about my concerns, my issues, I shouldn't shy away from that. I should engage yeah. in a dialogue. So it's more about what is the message that's being shared. Yeah, now, John, I haven't heard anybody express concern about Speaker Schultz's uh, you know comments or anything like that. But I would focus more on the message rather yeah. than the group. Yeah, John, I'm with you there. And and I, I in the news article I read, they talked about some of the exchange of of uh, comments. It was through text from the speaker to the news organization. But, you know, the speaker was just doing what he does, speaking about oh, federal overreach and, and the rights of states. And I don't have any any quarrel with that. Uh, Shireen, we got to talk about Natalie Klein. Uh, we're, we're running short on time. It's, it's a hard topic to do in a short amount of time. But this uh, is the uh, school board member that has done some really um, shameful things in, in shaming a child. from a position of power. So from a position of power, she's on our state school board. Natalie Klein um, called out a a girl and accused her of, well, and I shouldn't say this because there is nothing wrong with being trans. So I don't want to suggest by accusing somebody of being trans that, that that in itself is, being trans is not the issue. 
calling a child out and suggesting that they shouldn't be on a particular sports team because you suspect that they have violated a crisis that you have fabricated. And then the amount of targeting that went after that family, that school, that that child is reprehensible. The level of, of anger that I have over this, to think about that poor kid, I was a very... <laughs> funny looking child like I I mean I would say that I was sort of an ugly kid because for a long time and I really embraced it and you know what the amount of harassment that I received because I lived offline because it was the 90s probably saved my life the level of targeting that these children experience because elected officials have created a fake crisis around gender identity is disgusting to me and yeah. I'm so upset for these families and I'm yeah. so bothered by a litany of people who have come forward who vote on or advance legislation that continues to reaffirm this belief that trans people are somehow wrong those people coming out and then trying to shame Natalie Klein for what she did is also just too much hypocrisy for me so yeah. I, I feel like at the level of rage that I have is not productive so what did you think well, John, we only got 30 seconds. Let's say, Nat- what, what should the state more, do? Natalie did more to help her opponents than than they ever did. Un- yeah. And so, and I, and I use think shameful, you're going to see the legislature doing anything they can to oust her. I use shameful. Shireen used reprehensible. John, what word would you use? Outrageous. Yeah. Outrageous. Well, uh, that's our show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We love uh, being together. And the program's produced by Anthony Skoma. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>